Berkeley Yeast is back again with Sunburst Chico, the yeast you love now with a sunny burst of pineapple. This strain was bioengineered to produce ethyl esters, fragrant flavor compounds that give your beer a distinctive kick of fresh pineapple. Perfect for tropical West Coast IPAs, pale ales, and tiki-style summer crushers. Mention this podcast for 15% off your next order of Sunburst Chico when you visit berkeleyyeast.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Yeast is an incredible living microorganism. We've known for years that yeast has a crucial impact on the flavor profile and sensory properties of beverages, and the Fermentus Beer Yeast Strain lineup is designed to meet the requirements for all brewers, so you can release your creativity. Visit Fermentus.com or explore our app to discover more about yeast behavior and characterization. What you're about to hear originally aired in March of 2018. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Can't tell you how many times I'm I'm near the bottom end of a of a keg uh, at, a, at a place where I'm getting a beer and, and all I get is sludge. It's rather unpleasant, and it's one of the things that I don't think people want to have marked against their product. You're starting to have carrageenan denature as soon as you add it. And this is just another ingredient that gives you an opportunity for you to step back and look at things at a higher level, and then continue to work your way into the process. Happy spring, everyone. Today, my friends Andrew Fradiani and Mark Sammartino are here to drop a whole lot of knowledge to help you make better beer. You guys ready to get nerdy about seaweed? I guess. Who doesn't like to get nerdy about seaweed? All right, cool. (laughs) There are probably some brewers listening who either don't know or haven't thought about how carrageenan aka Irish Moss, works. Before we get into lots of detail, let's first start off with that 30,000-foot overview version of how it works. Okay. Uh, Carrageenan is a plant-based material. It's added to the kettle uh, at the end of boil, and uh, in a whirlpool, it will help to remove uh, soluble proteins that would otherwise uh, combine with polyphenols later on in the package and start to form chill haze. So it's a way to limit the onset of chill haze or reduce it in package. But it also helps in the whirlpool to form a more compact true pile 
So it'll get more wort out of your brew, and it also helps to form cold break in the fermenter. So again, removing those proteins in the fermenter. That uh, if you're filtering or even centrifuging, helps to reduce the load or the amount of proteins and solids that are removed uh, in centrifuge or during filtration. From a clarity standpoint, too, um, that these are the proteins that are going to fall out of suspension anyway. These are not the ones that are going to be picked up and used by yeast for um, digestion and and their own structure uh, building, et cetera. But um, so it's it's a it's a material that really needs to come out of the process uh, in order to um, keep your fermentation aligned as well as keeping your product from looking like it's got a sludgy bottom. Tell us more about what happens after a brewer adds carrageenan to wort. How and when does it start to work? Once it's soluble, it's it's immediate. You know, uh, it's there's ionic bonding uh, between the sulfates and uh, the protein structure, and brings the, the the two molecules closer together. As as well as as it's as it goes into solution, the helix starts to form uh, with the carrageenan, so that creates the gel. So the, the in introduction of the protein uh, is rather rapid uh, as ionic bonding within the sulfates, as well as some hydrogen bonding in there. And then the, the gel formation is rather rapid. The, the key to, to some of this actually, uh, as well as is, is agitation. So depending upon <clears throat> how much agitation occurs after the gel formation, you may or may not get a, a good gel formation. As the as the bonding occurs, as I said, it's fairly rapid. If you're going in at high rates, or if you're just settling in a kettle, or if you're somebody actually um, mixes the whole process up, you may re-break some of that gel formation, and that's part of the ratio uh, blending of, of the two types of carrageenan in order to to make sure that you have a, a good balance between the 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 fragile carrageenan and the and the more um, elastic carrageenan uh, to make sure that you have that 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 gel. Uh, formation set up rather uh, nicely, but the longer it, it sits in 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 that matrix, uh, then you've got more potential for that to break, and that you get more potential for the um, uh, for the uh, denaturing to occur, et cetera. So, uh, as it, back to your question, it's rather rapid, uh, and from that point forward, it becomes less and less effective. And I think also one other thing on uh, how does it work? You know, when you add the uh, the carrageenan to the kettle, you have uh, formation of random coils and at some point uh, they're joining they're attaching to the protein and then they aggregate and start to settle so that's really the specifics on the on their function as far as we know it stokes law <laughs> larger particles stokes law right we've already said that carrageenan is seaweed but it's not just any seaweed tell us more about what it is and where it comes from so it is originally, and it's commonly known as Irish moss, and if you think about it, it is part of the British brewing tradition, so they were most likely using local material that they had available to them, and, and we think local is only a new phenomenon, but the seaweed that they harvested uh, has three, it has uh, kappa, iota, and lambda carrageenan in varying amounts. We as brewers and the industry have found that two plants, as Mark mentioned, grown in Southeast Asia, uh, Eucuma cottoni and Eucuma spinosum, give almost uh, pure uh, kappa and iota carrageenan. So lambda carrageenan does have food applications, but not in brewing. So it's used in toothpaste, 
putting ice cream to give a creamy texture. It doesn't work well in brewing. So for brewers, we're fortunate that these two plants produce uh, almost entirely kappa and iota carrageenan. And that's what's used today for uh, the brewing industry. How about describing the process for producing carrageenan? What needs to happen before it can be tossed in a brew kettle? Well, it, it's it's harvested um, as it's grown and then it's washed uh, to try to reduce the organic matter that's in it. And then there's a form of extraction that will go on. Uh, and, and it can be, it can take place in two different directions, but typically it's, it's a form of, a of a, um, a caustic type washing process and then some, some form of milling. And then beyond that, you get into the higher level of concentration, which can happen, uh, with the use of calcium uh, chloride or alcohol for the extraction of the, the carrageenan from, um, from the seaweed. So you can either have semi-processed material or highly processed material. Uh, once it's extracted, uh, there's a gel processing, drying, milling, and then a blending for consistency. So it, it's, it is a fairly industrial process once you go through uh, the semi-refined um, the, the semi, uh, material uh, to the refined material. Um, but the advan- advantages of that is you're getting a more concentrated form of the actual carrageenan material that you need and you have it blended to the specific ratios of those carrageenans that you need uh, for your process. So you've got the, you know, the, the more fragile version and the more resilient elastic um, gel formation that's from the, I forget, is that, which one is, Kappa is more fragile and Iota oh, I, is, is, is uh, more elastic yeah, or the other I have to look it up. Okay. <laughs> I so, have to look it up to be honest with you. So Kappa, so Kappa carrageenan is a strong, brittle gel. Okay. Uh, and That's then with it. iota carrageenan is a little bit more elastic. And usually you'll find that they're going to be a mixture of the two. Uh, and that's why a refined product is, is probably a little bit better use in brewing because you know what's in there. If you're using uh, other plant-based materials, they could have lambda in there too or different ratios. And those ratios can change uh, depending upon where they're harvested what time of year, what kind of growing season it has been. Uh, so, you know, we have to keep in mind that this is uh, an agricultural product, basically. But yeah, so it's a combination of the, the kappa carrageenan and the iota carrageenan that will give you a, uh, a strong gel, but one that's uh, somewhat uh, elastic. And I think about it, too, in a troop pile in the whirlpool, it will hold together better, especially towards the end. As you start to get towards the very end of your cooling run and the whirlpool is just about empty, that troop pile starts to come apart sometimes. So I think the uh, the iota allows it to, gives it a little bit of resiliency so it won't break apart in chunks. Very good. Is there a, um, I assume is, um, well, I don't know, is carrageen harvested uh, all year round or is there also sort of a, um, you know, a crop year to carrageen in, if you will? <laughs> I think it depends where you are. In the uh, South Pacific, I think it's uh, growing almost continuously. It's uh, ideal uh, climate for growing seaweed. And that's why most of the production globally has moved to the South Pacific, just ideal growing conditions. Uh, for it, it, that, brings up, go ahead. it brings up a good point, though, John, uh, in that regard, 
that uh, it's growing all the time. It's going to be exposed to different environmental conditions. And with those different environmental conditions, you get different ratios of, of the, of the material within, within the seaweed. And so, you know, the the all natural uh, processes, all great in some respects, um, but they also present themselves with opportunities so that the the semi-processed material is more likely to vary in its overall ratios of the uh, carrageenan and its performance is, is likely to vary. So using the, um, the processed um, carrageenan allows the manufacturer to actually go back and, and check the ratios and make sure that the material stays fairly consistent so that, that your checking of that process, your, your, your uh, its performance within its, uh, within your processes and, and removing the proteins becomes more of a consi- consistent and expected process rather than something that you're, you're going to have to keep tracking it and uh, having a large variability to it. I think also it's good to talk to your supplier about uh, the carrageenan supply. Where is it from? How often does it change? And the suppliers also will have guidelines for optimization trials. Do we have any idea when carrageenan was first used in brewing? (laughs) I've only come across, uh, at least in the brewing literature, uh, references back to the mid 1800s, but I, I think is uh, for brewing uh, <laughs> applications. But as being plant based and something that uh, has been harvested uh, for centuries, I, I'm sure the application goes back further than that. We just don't have a record, or I haven't come across anything specific to brewing. Well, the, the information I've been able to dig up on it is that uh, it's been around since about 600 BC in China. But from an Ireland standpoint, it's been around since about 400 AD. But it uh, was used for gelatin preparation at that time. So what I would assume, sometime between the 400 AD and obviously the 1800s, when uh, production of beer became more of a more of an industrial process uh, in Europe, that's where the the, the uh, material started to interface with the production of beer. I'm sure that. Uh, the use of gelatin has been used for a long time in, in beer making processes as a form of uh, reduction of protein. So somebody just decided, hey, this looks like a, an interesting application. Let's give it a shot. So if I had to guess in beer production, probably someplace around the, the 1700s where communication started to develop a little bit better and people started talking about things that might work. up it's part of that balance in brewing trying to figure out what makes the best sense for you because uh, the longer you hold it it's not necessarily uh, better for the process i'm john bryce and you're listening to the master brewers podcast from the master brewers association of the americas There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, proud partner of global hop breeder and merchant Hopsteiner. 
As one of the world's largest independently family-owned hop merchants, Hop Steiner has been connecting brewers with the choicest hops and hop products available since 1845. Explore Hop Steiner's unique and exciting hop varieties like Bravo, Calypso, Lemon Drop, Lotus, and Sultana, and more at bsgcraftbrewing.com backslash hops. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Shout out to Continental, a global supplier of brewery hoses. Their Extreme Flex Beverage Transfer Hose features pretzel-like flexibility for those tight bend connections. Raise a glass to its easy, clean cover with a finish almost as smooth as your beer. Click the link in the show notes to find a distributor near you. Things change fast in the hop market. You want to be sure you're getting the best quality and price. Visit the Lupulin Exchange where you can find every variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, lot quality, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupion Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Milwaukee meets May 18th at the Tumbled Rock Brewery and Kitchen. District Philadelphia's spring meeting will be at Tonewood Brewing in Barrington, New Jersey, May 19th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis has its spring meeting at Shell's Brewery in New Ulm, May 25th. District Rocky Mountain meets June 1st at Holidayly Brewing in Golden, Colorado. District Southern California meets June 3rd at Gamecraft Brewing in Laguna Hills. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 8th. District Michigan Summer Social is July 8th at Fitzgerald Park and Grand Ledge. Master Brewers has teamed up with ASBC to put on a two-day raw materials symposium August 3rd and 4th in Bloomington, Minnesota. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids, October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. back to the show. Brewers weren't 
must have the right ions and pH for carrying to be effective. Talk about that. Um, calcium, magnesium, potassium. It's a ionic ratios that are uh, very important in order to get the three-dimensional structure of carrageenan in order to hold properly. Uh, in order for it to function properly, it needs to establish itself as a helical uh, compound so and interlink compound uh, to form the gelatin. If the ionic balance is not correct in the solution, your pH is too low. Uh, as an example, the, the helices will not form uh, and then the, the gelatin will not form. Typically, the right ratios of the calcium, potassium, magnesium will help in that process in order to set the, the helix, helix up. So you need a pH somewhere in the 5 to 5, 4, 5, 7 range, uh, not much below that in order to get it to, to work. I think the other point to uh, keep in mind also is that uh, potassium and magnesium normally uh, are in sufficient quantities in the wort for the carrageenan to work. And most brewers are also adding calcium. So there really should not be a problem that you do not have enough of these ions. And uh, it is written that below pH of 4.5, uh, you will not get a gel to set up. So I think for most brewers, if we're looking at uh, 5.2, 5.4 and the boil on the pH, uh, there should be no problems there. So how about the timing of carrageenan additions? What's the goal there? Normally, you want to add it about 10 to 20 minutes before the end of the boil. Uh, so it needs to be hot enough to dissolve. And usually anything above 60 C uh, will uh, allow it to dissolve. You don't want it in there too long. So you don't want to add too soon uh, so that the carrageenan completely denatures and is no longer effective. My guess is that you're starting to have carrageenan denature as soon as you add it. So that's why timing is critical. You still want enough of the material uh, active and, and able to function before it's completely denatured. I think that's an interesting point because, you know, a lot of craft brewers are having very long whirlpool stands because they are trying to extract aroma compounds and whatnot. Whereas I know, Mark, in your brewing history, I know AB's philosophy was to, you know, minimize hot work time as, as much as possible. They believe that, you know, the the shorter the processing time on the hot side, the higher the quality of the wort. What was a typical whirlpool stand time for, for you, Mark, in most of your career? There wasn't one. Uh, what it boils down to is a uh, knockout at uh, roughly 33 feet per second uh, and, and create the, um, the circular motion in the hot wort receiver. And as soon as knockout was complete and the PLCs were able to make the switch, uh, the draw to the, the wort coolers would, would start at the same time. So if you actually... Take a bunch of pepper, throw it into a, a, a glass, actually, and take a pencil or something and spin it. You'll see that the solids will go directly to the center uh, rapidly. So if your knockout is is coming in at a sufficient speed, the, the, the protein material will actually start to, to form the cone in the center of the hot work receiver very rapidly. So it's not something that you need to worry about from a, from a stand standpoint or extract standpoint. So it was just a matter of minutes. But as you say here with, with the craft brewers, um, in my old history, if I go all the way back uh, to my first brewing time, we used to have 60-minute holds. And 
all of those can build dimethyl sulfides, uh, ferulic acid issues, things of that nature, but again, and wort oxidation, but that's all built within the total profile of your product and whether or not it's uh, important to your overall flavor. But from a, from a, a crap brewer sitting and holding for 60 minutes, an uh, hour and a half, et cetera, is trying to get additional extraction of the hops. Um, what you're going to find with the use of carrageen is, is the same thing with proteins. You're going to get a lot of resuspension of materials uh, because of that denaturing process. When, when proteins uh, coagulate, um, they, they basically collapse upon themselves. There is some ionic and uh, hydrogen bonding that, that, that goes on. Same thing goes on with, with carrageenan. There is some ionic bonds that are formed within uh, the structure of carrageenan with protein. But for the most part, it's really a hydrogen bonding process. And as, as heat continues to denature both the carrageenan and the protein, you can get that process to, to actually separate and uh, not necessarily form a good uh, gelatin uh, characteristic. So on both ends of the fence, if you're having trouble with protein um, coagulation and you have long uh, hot water receiver holds, it's part of that balance in brewing, trying to figure out what makes the best sense for you. Because uh, the longer you hold it, it's not necessarily uh, better for the process. Yeah, and especially if it's, um, I think, Andrew, you said it's going to solubilize above like 60C or something, right? Right. Yeah, so it almost se- it almost seems like maybe a lot of craft brewers sh- should just be adding it in the whirlpool instead of in the kettle. I don't know. It's a good that, point if you can get sufficient mixing. Go ahead. Right, that, that could, I was going to say, that could be something to try. And I think also today with brewing, we're trying so many different methods, uh, or at least that we think are new. It uh, requires an understanding of the process and the ingredients and how they work and looking at maybe making some changes to where they're applied and and how to apply them. So Whirlpool application certainly uh, merits some trials to see if it's uh, functioning. That also brings up an interesting point. There are two views in the literature. One is that uh, I think a stronger view is that it's the carrageenan application uh, has benefits seen in the cold wort. So once the wort is in the fermenter is where you will see the the greatest uh, removal of protein. But there is literature out there that states that no, in fact, also works in the whirlpool. Uh, so again, it's. Uh, I think we have a lot of generalities, but for each process, uh, because they're specific to each brewery and the raw materials, um, with a good understanding, I think brewers can do some trials and see what works best. Okay, so it sounds like you guys are in the camp of uh, it, that it's uh, probably helping on with both hot and cold break formation. Absolutely, but again, it's process driven. You know, so as Andrew mentioned, your specific process, your specific ratios, what protein levels you're using in your particular materials are all play into that. Uh, if you're holding long hot wort receiver holes versus cold, I mean, uh, shorter periods of time, um, if you've got um, uh, a lot of European materials in there with low protein ratios, low modifications, you may or may not have significant issues. Uh, if you have very high modified materials, as in the United States, you can have greater protein issues, et cetera. So it's it's a trial and error process for your for your particular brewery. Nothing seems to be cut in stone anymore, as, as Andrew pointed out. Uh, there's a lot of variation in the processes. It's really a matter of stepping back, looking at the whole picture, what are you trying to achieve, and then deal with it in that manner. 
Beyond reducing chill haze, what are some other potential benefits that might come from using carrageenan? The proper protein balance in your entire process is important. Um, and it, it really, again, goes down to what you're trying to achieve within your process. So uh, if you have too much cold break in your fermenter, you can actually interfere with your yeast performance by blinding the yeast's ability to pull in nutrients into the into the cell. So you can end up with some difficulty with fermentation. At the same time, um, <clears throat> that could end up manifesting itself as longer fermentations, uh, less complete fermentations, higher uh, byproducts, uh, diacetyl, things of that nature, acetaldehyde. At the same time, um, getting the proper uh, protein ratios in your finished product uh, helps clarity, whether you centrifuge, whether you filter um, those large molecular uh, compounds can interfere with um, this, the actual activity of a centrifuge or, or a blind a filter uh, system rather rapidly. Uh, and then, then you get into that character of how does the beer actually hold up in the, um, hold up in the package whether that's in a bottle, can, or even in draft. I can't tell you how many times I'm, I'm near the bottom end of a, of a keg uh, at, a, at a place where I'm getting a beer and, and all I get is sludge. It's rather unpleasant. And it's one of the things that I don't think people want to have marked against their product, but it happens a lot. Um, it is used because... You're saying you're emptying what's the that, keg a lot of... You're saying that you're the yes, the I last, am emptying the you're keg. You're the last one there emptying the keg. Okay. Yes, I am. The I've done that the a barrel. lot. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you got to understand too. You're not dealing with proteins. Not protein. It, it's uh, protein in this particular case in this particular size is the material that you want out of your process. It's not the the, the protein that you want for good foam head support for good nutrient uh, nutrition for yeast, etc. This is the stuff that uh, just is is. It really will will uh, cause a lot of hassle for you in trying to make a nice, drinkable, clean, non-mouth-coating product. So uh, using something like carrageenan is an excellent way to get a, get a good uh, balance in the overall uh, protein profile. I think also, uh, again, higher yield. If you have a nice, good, compact true pile in the Whirlpool, you're going to get more wort out on that brew and it's going to be a brighter wart going into your fermenter okay andrew just like we talked about uh, with isinglass back on episode 75 brewers need to run optimization trials for carrageenan as well let's describe a carrageenan optimization trial how does that differ from the isinglass optimization process we talked about before uh, it's quite similar in fact so you would make up a stock solution uh, with your carrageenan and uh, take some hot wort and dose at different amounts. Uh, say you'll take uh, probably five different samples of wort, uh, dose your carrageenan and cool it down. And then you can measure the amount of true formed in each. Uh, and then you can find uh, which one is the optimum dose rate for that particular wort stream. But also keeping in mind that this is not something you do one time, check it off, and forget about it. You should do this uh, at least once a year when you have a new malt coming in. So each year is a new harvest of barley. You have new malt coming in. Uh, so that's probably a good time to, to uh, do the optimization trials again. And with each different warp stream, 
in your brewery. Uh, so I, I think that's probably a good guideline. With any raw material, uh, whether it be malt, uh, whether it be the use of corn or or um, a variety of hops, et cetera, you tr- should try to do it with your eyes open. Try to gather as much information as you can. To, there's a huge amount of information on the MBAA website um, in both the blogs as well as the TQ offers a great deal of depth. Uh, if you can't find it there, there are other resources, uh, great, great technical um, um, books that are available for you to purchase. And I would recommend that, that if you don't have a few in, in your library, you get a few in your library and you ask these questions before you actually jump in. These None of this should be done with your eyes closed. Everything should be done in your process, thinking your way through what is it? What is the chemistry? What is the process going to take place? Um, what do I need to be careful with? And then try to make sure that you understand uh, the consequences of everything that you, you do. So in the case of, of, of carrageenan, if you're, if you're settling in a kettle and using your kettle as your hot wort receiver, it's not going to have the same type of troop pile that it would have if you're moving it to another vessel at a high rate of speed. If you disturb that pile, are you sending more and more material forward into your fermenter? How does that going to impact your fermentation, et cetera, in your process? So you have to kind of think your way through everything. Uh, this is just another ingredient that gives you an opportunity for you to step back and look at things at a higher level and then continue to work your way into the process. Awesome. I think. I think also what comes to mind is uh, a saying uh, Michael Lewis uh, had, and that's, uh, what do I see in front of me, and how does that relate to what I know? So just as Mark said, look at your process and think about what you're seeing and what you're trying to do and the tools you have and how they function, all uh, keeping in mind what your goal is uh, in the process. That was Andrew Fradiani and Mark Sammartino here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Carrageenan, check out their article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly. You can get there from the Publications tab or by typing Fining into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 